Good morning. Can you guys hear me? <laughs> Go ahead and take a seat. Oh, man. How, how's your guys' weekend been? It's been good? Good. So, my name is Kyle. Um, hope you guys have had a good weekend. Uh, this semester, we've been going through this series uh, called Who Is This Man? Uh, where we just take a look at Jesus' life and specifically a lot of the defining moments in Jesus' life uh, in hopes that we can get a better and, and truer picture of who Jesus really is, right? And so um, the hope behind this is not really uh, just merely that we would look at these things that Jesus does and think, wow, like, what a great man, although that would be true, um, but really just that we would uh, understand that, like, Jesus lived differently, and we're called to follow Jesus, and we're called to uh, live differently as a result as well. And if we're going to chase after Jesus, if we're going to dedicate our lives to him, we had better uh, have a good understanding of who it is that we're following, right? So um, that's kind of the idea behind it. We've talked about a lot of aspects of Jesus' life to this point. Uh, last week, we talked about Jesus as a miracle worker, right? Um, that he uh, came here and he did supernatural things uh, here on this earth, and he had a purpose for those things. And we, we talked a little bit about worry uh, and how uh, the disciples were worried about a storm, even though Jesus was right there with them, this, this powerful, supernatural Jesus. And he had performed miracles already, and they were still kind of worried about that. And so uh, we talked about how easy it can be to focus on the here and now instead of the God that is with us and is in control. And so uh, this week, we're going to take a look at a passage in Matthew 9. So if you guys want to turn there, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. Uh, otherwise, it's going to be up on the screen. <laughs> Matthew 9, verses 9 through 13. Uh, it says this, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he got up and followed him. While he was reclining at the table in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came as guests to eat with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with the tax collectors and sinners? Um, um, sorry. When he heard this, he said, those who are well don't need a doctor, but the sick do. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. Let's, uh, let's pray, and then we're going to dive into to what this means for us. Um, God, Lord, I just ask that you be with us today. I ask that you uh, speak through me. Um, Lord, ultimately, we, just, we want you to dwell here. Um, God, we want you to be present here. We want to learn from you. We want to learn from your scriptures. Um, God, and we just ask that you meet us here. We ask that you speak through your scriptures to us, and God, that that would inform our lives. God, that our lives would be different as a result of uh, meeting here today. And so we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Cool. So um, in this passage, Jesus meets Matthew, and he calls him to follow him. And, uh, and pretty swiftly there, Matthew is just like, well, okay. He kind of just leaves everything behind, which uh, I think we see that, and it's like, that's... That's a little weird, um, at least for me. It's like there's clearly kind of some context there. Like it's not normal for somebody to be like, hey, follow me. And they're just like, okay, forget everything else that I've ever done 
and now I'm going to follow you. Uh, and so we see that that's a, that's a little strange, but uh, I've kind of heard that um, following a Jewish rabbi was really esteemed in their culture, right? And so uh, many would try to learn under a rabbi first uh, before moving on to some other kind of profession. Uh, and so when Jesus, this esteemed rabbi in, in Galilee, comes up to Matthew and off, make, makes him this offer, like, hey, follow me, Matthew's like, that's a great opportunity. And so he, he, he kind of leaves everything behind and he follows him. Um, now, we also know from parallel stories in Scripture, um, like the, the parallel uh, story that is told um, in, in Luke's Gospel, for example, that uh, uh, where Jesus and these tax collectors and sinners are eating is Matthew's house, right? And that he throws uh, this banquet for Jesus. So, so Matthew is, is called to follow Jesus, and then um, as a result, he's like, hey, let's, you know, let's celebrate. Let's eat together and that sort of thing. And so um, they're all eating at this tax collector's house, and, and tax collectors uh, during this time were despised. And they were despised uh, largely because, um, you know, they w- would collect these taxes, but they'd also kind of uh, extort a little bit extra just to pad their pockets uh, and that sort of thing. Uh, and in addition to that, they were collecting these taxes for Rome. And, and so what that made them was not only thieves, but, but traitors to the Jewish nation. So the Pharisees and most of the Jewish people didn't like these tax collectors. And so um, what we see is that Jesus is kind of doing things a little bit differently, right? And that the Pharisees are a little uh, upset and maybe put off by this. Um, they've got some questions. They don't really understand why Jesus would be hanging out with people like that. Right, uh, people that they would be consider that they would consider sinners, people that they would consider far from God, uh, and that type of thing. And, and again, we just see that Jesus is kind of going against the grain here, right? He's doing things that, honestly, if translated into our culture, we might not receive as well as we do, and we just read it in the scriptures ourselves. Uh, and, and so, frankly, I just don't know that they would be as appealing to us if that was in our kind of context. Uh, and in addition to that, I, I think that when we see these scriptures, we kind of tend to view the Pharisees as like the bad guys in the scenario. We tend to view them as the bad guys, and then we tend to just assume that we're aligned with Jesus and, and the people that he's ministering to uh, more so than the Pharisees. When in actuality, I think it can be pretty common for us to relate to the Pharisee as well. And so we're going to talk a little bit about the Pharisees uh, first. And so these were uh, the kind of Jewish religious leaders. Uh, and what we find throughout the gospel is that, um, throughout the gospel accounts is that these were people that were very set on tradition, um, right? They were, they were very set on, this is the way that we've always done it, and this is the way that the people before us had done it, and so uh, this is the way that is right, okay? And so often throughout Jesus' life, he does things that kind of tick them off because it kind of goes against some of those traditions. And people during this time, at least during this period, I think really liked Jesus, right? Like he's going around healing people. He's speaking as though he had authority from heaven. And so people were like, wow, like we really like this guy. And yet the Pharisees are seeing that in combination with the fact that he's kind of going against some of their traditions, their man-made traditions that they've always had, and they don't like it, right? And so what we find out is that the, the Pharisees, they can seem very concerned with the letter of the law uh, and not the spirit of the law, right? Uh, they seem very concerned with this is what God says to do um, or even what, this is what you know, we've always done or say to do versus the spirit of the law, which is like this is why we do these things. Right? And Jesus continues to kind of break down some of those barriers. He's trying to show the Pharisees that this, it, it's not enough to look holy or righteous. 
It's not enough to, to externally look like you're a righteous or holy person, but that you would uh, be changed from the inside out, that God is very much concerned with the heart. And, and this is where the Pharisees, I think, very much err throughout Jesus' life, throughout uh, his kind of lifetime. Um, you know, they've kind of forgotten like what God is about and who he really is. Uh, and, and as a result, they seem to think God wants like their rituals rather than their hearts. Okay? And now, I, I think what we do is, is often we look at these stories, we take a look at these stories, and we kind of judge the Pharisees, which I find to be really ironic. <laughs> right? Um, like, we look at their lives and we think, well, how, you know, how stupid, you know, the Pharisees doing Pharisee things, uh, you know, kind of classic, these pious religious nuts that don't really care about very much else except their self-image, um, that kind of thing. And, and so I think there's a couple things that we can miss uh, about the Pharisees if we're not careful. So I, I want to talk about that. Uh, the first thing is this, we're not always so different, okay? We're not always so different. Um, you know, it, it's true that the Pharisees are these kind of pious religious nuts that, that care a lot about their self-image, but I think we can fail to see where we're similar. Um, for example, I think any time that we derive our value uh, from comparing ourselves to others or even from some kind of standard that we've set, we're acting a whole lot like a Pharisee, okay? But we're saying that these are the standards I've set to be a good person, and then whenever we do well in those standards, we feel a little bit good about ourselves, and then when we fail, we feel kind of awful, right? Um, not in the best mood. And I think ultimately what we're doing is we end up uh, comparing our frankly just mediocre good works to the life of Jesus, which we know is ridiculous, right? Uh, but we do that anyway. And, and so um, what we kind of do is we end up uh, setting these kind of standards, and when we do this, I think we deny the gospel and we deny Jesus. So to, to give you an example of what this is like for me, um, often... For me, the kind of standard that I, that I try to like live up to that sometimes I feel like I'm able to do and other times I'm not is just, I really, I, like I need to feel like I'm doing something good for God's kingdom, okay? Like a, a lot of the time it, it involves like, man, am I investing in enough people? Am I having enough like gospel conversations? Am I doing enough for our church? Am I, you know, involved in the lives of people that are far from God? That type of thing. All good things, right? Things that I would never be like, oh, that's terrible. I need to step away from that, right? Like, I, I would never say that. And yet, the reality is I can never do enough of those things to, to earn God's love. I can never do enough of those things to get closer to God, right? When I succeed, I feel good about myself, which is like, again, a self-righteousness. It's like this, this uh, exalting of ourselves. And when I fail, I feel bad about myself, which is sort of this backwards self-righteousness as well, right? Um, where we just end up um, saying essentially that like, Jesus isn't good enough, right? Uh, the reality is we can't add anything to what Jesus has done to make ourselves good enough before God, okay? So, so that's the first thing. It's just that like we aren't always so different from the Pharisees. I feel like that's important to note. And, and the other thing is this. Jesus cares about the Pharisees. I, I think often we see these stories in Scripture and we're like, we, we kind of view the Pharisee as uh, like the antagonist in the story, Right? Like, the, like uh, when, you, when you look at movies, you have the protagonist and the antagonist. Jesus is the protagonist. He's always the good guy. And then the antagonist are the Pharisees. Like, oh, they're, they're always doing the wrong thing. And, like, they're always against Jesus. 
And I don't think that's really the point. And although Jesus has, a lot of his harshest words tend to be for the Pharisees, I don't know that that means he like doesn't like them or he hates them or something like that. Um, I think more so it's just this idea that like uh, Jesus is, I think, showing them a little bit of tough love, right? A a little bit of uh, strong words, which I think are needed for stubborn people, you know? Like if you're at all stubborn, sometimes you just need somebody to like, listen, stop. You're like, <laughs> you're an idiot. You know what I'm saying? Um, and, and I don't think that's like unloving, even though if it, if it can feel like it hurts a little bit, you know? And so sometimes stubborn people need, need strong words. Um, and, and really, I think that Jesus' hope for every Pharisee would just be that they abandon their self-righteousness and return to God. And so I, I just want to lay that foundation because I think when we dive into this passage, it can be easy to just like, I don't know, like uh, demonize the, the Pharisees and that sort of thing. It's like, I don't think that's the point behind a lot of the interaction that Jesus has with these people. Um, so now we, we've kind of talked about the Pharisee a little bit. I, I want to uh, talk a little bit about Jesus. Like, what is it that he's doing in this passage that we can really learn from? Um, and, and the first thing is this. Jesus spent time with sinners. <laughs> and <laughs> you're probably sitting here like, yeah, we just read this story. And if there's like one thing that you could glean out of that, you're like, yeah, I got that. Like, I, <laughs> uh, we don't need to really discuss this. Like, it's not too hard to pick that out from this passage, Kyle. You know, let's, let's keep moving. Um, but I think this is really important. Like, you have to think, uh, if you're waiting for the Messiah to come, like the, the Messiah that's going to set everything right, how would you expect him to come? And, and who would be the type of people that you'd expect him to be with? Um, I think for me, probably I would expect uh, Jesus to be um, with these people that have just these kind of good, kind hearts, right? And what we find uh, is that that's not necessarily the case, um, what Jesus is doing here is I think he's pretty explicitly telling us uh, through, through his actions and his words um, why he came, like why he came to this earth, right? He, he came to retrieve the lost. He came to bring people back to God. He didn't come with an iron fist to be like this political, uh, you know, or religious like icon uh, that people looked up to. He came as a human and dwelled among real people among people that were extremely flawed and looked down upon. And I think this should be both an encouragement to us and a challenge to us, okay? It should be an encouragement in a sense of like, man, like, nobody is too far gone, right? Like, nobody is out of Jesus' reach. The the gospel, like, this good news about what Jesus did is for you. Like, that's, that is for you. And, and there's nothing that you can do to, to put yourself out of Jesus' reach, regardless of where you're at. If you don't know Jesus, there's nothing you can do to put yourself out of his reach. And if you know Jesus, there's nothing you can do to put yourself out of Jesus' reach. Okay, so let that be an encouragement, but also, I think this is a challenge and a reminder uh, that, that if we are to join Jesus in his mission to, to bring back the lost, that we ought to be around the lost, Okay? We ought to put ourselves around people that don't know Jesus in order to share this with them. We ought to find ourselves in places that the lost spend time. Okay? I, I want to admit that that is tricky. <laughs> That's tricky, especially when speaking to a, a college uh, environment and that sort of thing, uh, because while we need to meet people where they're at, 
um, I think that there's a little more that we need to think through than that, right? Like if that is, if those places where, where you're thinking about spending time to meet lost people are like a temptation for you, it's like, man, that is at least worth thinking about, I'd say. Um, you know, is it a place of temptation for you? How can you really be a light in that place? If that, if, like, is that the best way, you know, to go there? Um, can you get arrested? That's probably a good thing to think through, <laughs> you know? Um, but for real, like, it, there's a lot to think about, and there's no way to prescribe, like, this right answer across the board, like, yeah, like, we should just all be hanging out at, like, all the frat parties and, like, trying to, you know, meet all these people. It's like, that's, for some people, that might be totally fine, and for a lot of others, it's like, that's a terrible idea, and you should definitely not do that. You know what I'm saying? Um, so there's a, there's a lot to think about there, but I would say this. Having godly men and women in your life that can, can, you can bounce these ideas off of, that you can say, like, hey, like, do you think this is a good idea? That's a good place to start if you're trying to find yourself among the lost. And so, uh, you know, especially if that involves, like, sin and temptation, like, man, just, like, bring others into that, into that, and, and get wisdom from them. So, anyway, moving on from that, I think there's, there's, there's something else kind of important about Jesus spending time with the lost, and it's a little, I think, hidden in something that Jesus says at the end of this passage. He says this, the well don't need a doctor, the sick do, right? So, um, I, I don't know, I feel like there's, a sickness kind of going around our church right now. There's a lot of people that probably have, have uh, I don't know, encountered that. I've been sick for like nine days. Um, beware, like don't come up and, you know, shake my hand or whatever. I probably sneezed on it or something. Um, and, and I remember at one point I was talking with Lindsay uh, about um, whether or not I had a temperature or something like that. And I began to tell her how pointless I typically feel like that is, like to, te- to check your temperature. And, and um, I realized that some nursing major in here is probably cringing right now, but, you know, whatever. It's fine. Um, you know, in the past, you know, when I was really little, like my mom would check my temperature, and, and I never quite understood why. Um, and I guess that could be valuable. Like if you have small children, you want to make sure they're not, like, lying to you about, oh, I'm sick and I don't want to go to school. Like maybe that's, you know, why people do it. I don't know. Um, but honestly, like my, my point is, is like, I don't really need a, my temperature. I don't need a thermometer to tell me that I'm sick. You know, I kind of just like, oh, I'm really sick. And unless I'm going to go to the doctor uh, and like that temperature would be valuable in like diagnosing me, which spoiler alert, I'm not. I'm not going to the doctor when I'm sick. Um, unless I'm doing that, it's kind of useless for me to know what temperature I am. Okay. So I say all of that because again, like when you're sick, you kind of just know it. You know, you just feel that. Like, you feel that in your body. Like, there's something that's off here, right? And uh, the beauty of this metaphor that Jesus is giving here, he says, the sick need a doctor and the well don't. He says, uh, uh, those um, that are sick need a doctor and the well don't. He also says, I came not for the righteous, but the sinner. And his idea isn't like, hey, um, there are some people that are fine, and the rest of you, you know, I, you know I'm, I'm here for you. His idea is like, everybody's sick, but he's, he's making this metaphor where he's saying, hey, look, even if you don't think you're sick, you are, kind of, right? Like, it, like, it's whether or not you have an understanding of, like, your depravity and of your need for God. Like, the ones that know that they have problems, <laughs> those are the people that, that they understand, like, their need for God, they understand their depravity, and those are the people that are going to seek after Jesus, 
Those are the people that are going to come to him. And this is sort of what he's kind of getting at here is like um, this importance because everybody, everybody needs God. Jesus isn't saying that some people don't need them because he's already righteous or they're already righteous, right? He's saying, he's contrasting between people that think that they're good and people that know that they're not, right? You see the, the kind of difference there? He's not like, oh, like some of those people, they'll be fine, without me. It's like, no, like, I'm, I'm just here for the people that understand that they need me. There are two kinds of people. There are the sick that have gone to the doctor and the sick that haven't, okay? Uh, there's there's a, a, a wise man said it once this way. We are all mere beggars showing other beggars where to find bread. That was Martin Luther. We are all mere beggars showing other beggars where to find bread. Uh, and, and so to, to bring this down to earth a little bit, when I was about 20 years old is when I found Jesus. When I was about 20, I was, I was in college still. Uh, spoiler alert, I'm not in college anymore. I may look it. Uh, I've got the baby face thing going on here. Um, <laughs> I'm not in college anymore. But, you know, when, when, when I was about 20, I was. And uh, during that time, I, was, I, was, I found myself really lost, Right? I found myself lost. I'd bounce from one thing to the next to try and find value and worth. And, uh, and most often it was in people. Um, like whenever I was 17, I was arrested for the possession of marijuana. But even that was very much about like the people that I, that I wanted to like me, right? And then I would bounce to uh, the, finding like my identity in this girl that I was dating. And, and, you know, I tried all these things like the partying, whatever, all of that. Uh, and at some point I found myself at the end of my rope, right? I was I was broken. I was tired, and it wasn't until I understood my brokenness and my need for God um, that I was even open to following him. A a friend of mine during that time, that's when he kind of shared the gospel with me, and that changed my life. Like, that changed everything about my life. And now, my time is spent, I'm 27 years old, my time is spent here in a college church on a college campus trying to find, really trying to find other people that are just like me uh, and hoping that I can show them where the bread is, you know? Finding others that are just like me, searching for something, right? And, and trying to show them, this is where you can find life in Jesus. That's it. I, I say all of this because I think it's unbelievably unbelievably important that, that we understand our weakness and our brokenness and how much we need God. It's unbelievably important. It's important for our relationship with Jesus, but it's also important because when we understand that we're all just broken people, like we're all broken people, and some of us have been made whole by Jesus, but ultimately we're all these, these beggars, you start to have compassion on others. You start to find yourself among the lost in hopes that you can reach them, in hopes that you can introduce them to this Jesus that's changed your life. You start to see people and start to, to try and think about what their life might be like if they knew Jesus. How would they be different? How would they have joy and peace instead of this constant searching for something? How would they, <laughs> how they know the love that God has for them and want to share that with others, right, instead of their focus being on whatever it is right now? you know, academics, partying, whatever. And, and I, I live for that, man. I'm like addicted to that. I, I'm addicted to seeing people's lives change when they encounter Jesus. 
when they, when they see him and understand him for the first time, like, there's, like, nothing more powerful than seeing somebody's life just flip. Um, there's this passage in Luke 7 that, that I want to talk about where, where Jesus, he's eating with a Pharisee, which, again, is interesting because the passage that we're in right now, we're talking a little bit about him eating with sinners. And so, again, we're just seeing this idea that, like, Jesus cares about all people. He loves all people. Um, he loves the Pharisee, too. But while he's sitting there, uh, this woman who's known to be a sinner comes in this town and begins weeping and washing his feet with her tears. Okay, and kisses his feet and anoints him with oil and all this stuff. And, and Simon, the Pharisee that he's eating with, is, is a little confused by this because he knows what kind of woman this is. Right? He knows that this is like somebody that's known to be a sinner in her town and that sort of thing. Right? And so I want to pick it up in, in verse 40, Luke 7, verse 40. It says this, Jesus replied to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, he said, say it. A creditor had two debtors. One owned, owed 500 denarii, that's just a day's wage. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, I suppose the one he forgave more. He said, you have judged correctly, he told him. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she with her tears has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she has not stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You did not anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, this is, this is again, back to the series, who is this man? who even forgives sins. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And you see a passage like this, and you have to ask, are there like forgiveness scales? Because Jesus seems to imply that, right? He says like, one man owed 500 denarii and another owed 50. Like, who, like when forgiven those debts, who do you think will love him more? Right? Um, but I don't, I don't think that that's really what he's getting at here. Like, I, I think uh, there, there really isn't any kind of more forgiving more, there isn't any kind of forgiving more, forgiving less, uh, like that would imply, um, because we're all sinners before a holy God, right? And, and so, if that's true, I think what's really being talked about here is very similar to what we're seeing in the Matthew passage that we already talked about, uh, and it's that. Uh, one person is not forgiven more than another, uh, and it's more about whether or not we have an understanding of how much we've been forgiven. Regar Everyone has been forgiven much. This is what I'm getting at. There is no, oh, this person's been forgiven a little, this person's been forgiven like a moderate amount, and this person, man, like they had some baggage, they've been forgiven a ton. No, 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 we've all been forgiven much, okay? And so it's more about this understanding of how, like, un do we have an understanding of how much we've been forgiven? Right? And, and to engage with that, th this is just kind of a heart check thing. Do you have an understanding of how much you've been forgiven? And, and, and if you don't, how can you cultivate that? How can you continue to engage with that? How can you uh, try to understand on a greater level, man, I have been forgiven much? And, and then lastly, how can you respond to that? How can you respond to understanding, like, man, I have been forgiven so much? Like, maybe that's just a praise of God. Maybe that's just like, man, God, I'm so thankful that you would save me, right? Maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe it's just trying to show other beggars where the bread is. 
Maybe that should be your response. Or honestly, yeah, just like this, understand, like, I am just another beggar in need of bread. Like, I am just another sick person in need of a healer. I'm just another sinner in need of a savior. Or maybe for you, it's believing in Jesus for the first time. Understanding that, like, man, like, I've not received this forgiveness yet. I've not received, like, this gift that's been given to me. Maybe that's a spot that you're in, and you need to engage with that and, and to dedicate yourself to Jesus. Ultimately, yeah, we've all been forgiven much. We all have, regardless of your background, you may think, oh, I grew up in church. I've had a mostly good life. (laughs) I think that has a deep misunderstanding of of not only your life and and the small things that you consider to be just like white blemishes or something like that uh, versus God's unlimited holiness, right? And, And so to have a deep understanding of, man, like I've been forgiven much and to let that propel you into a deeper love for God. Right? And so I'm going to pray here in a moment, and we're going to sing some songs, and I think that's going to be a great time for you to engage with that. Um, but if you need prayer, like if you need to talk to somebody about some of this stuff, we, we always forget to mention this, but we have people in the back. They'll have like lanyards on and whatever. Uh, some people are sometimes along the side here. If you need to pray with somebody, go and talk to them. Like they will pray with you. Um, and ultimately, like man, like let's, let us praise God together for, for being forgiven much. Let's pray. God, um, God, you've been so good. You've been so good to all of us. God, we thank you for, for giving us all much. God, like there's, there's so much in each of our lives that um, we don't tend to account for, and, and we know that you're good and gracious and loving to all of us. Um, Lord, I just ask that, that you'd be with us during this time of worship and prayer. God, I ask that um, you'd help us to love you more. God, I just keep thinking about you are the best thing that's ever happened to me. God, thank you for saving my life. Thank you for saving the lives of so many people in this room. Lord, and I just pray that we'd be able to engage with you, to love you well uh, during this time of worship. In Christ's name, amen.